0: One of the ways that we walk by faith and not by sight is by looking at the Word of God and seeing how those who went before us did it, and we're going to do that in just a second in Genesis 24, but a couple things I want to mention first, Um, I want to share with you a thank you from Scott and Christina Hall, and um, if you're not aware, Scott is on the tail end now of going through two knee replacements, and tomorrow, is that right, Scott, you head back to work, right? tomorrow you head back to work. So that is a big praise. And uh, that's a big thank you from Scott and Christina for many of you who've been praying, who took them meals. Um, If you've never gotten a meal from somebody in our church, you don't know what a blessing that is, but it is a huge blessing. I mean, when someone is sick and feeling under the weather like that, and just to have somebody bring you food is such a relief. And so thank you for those of you who showed your love that way. So, I want to let you know that the elders have met, and um, we are placing another person in front of you for the role of deacon. Um, If you're not aware, the church is growing, and there's a lot of needs to care for, and so um, we are placing before you, uh, prayerfully, Matt Sides, and um, we have met with Matt, Matt desires to serve in the role of deacon, Um, he did that previously, and he wants to do it again, and so... For the next two weeks, we are asking you as a church to prayerfully consider 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, which are very clear on on who should be serving as a deacon. And it says in there in verse 10, let them be tested. Let them be tested. And and part of the testing is is that, that you prayerfully evaluate them. And if you have concern with Matt serving as a deacon, here's what we're asking you to do. Don't go gossip to other people. I can't believe they asked the sides guy. We're asking you to go to Matt and deal with that concern that you have. Yeah. And, and so, if you have a concern, go to Matt, and we're asking you to pray for him and his family as they prepare to serve in this way. So, I wanted to mention that to you. And with that, we're going to turn our attention to the second longest narrative in the book of Genesis. The first longest narrative is broken up in a couple chapters. It's the narrative that deals with the flood. But this is the second longest narrative, and this has to do... With, with Isaac and, 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 and him coming to, to lead the family, often this is presented, Genesis 24 is presented as a love story. Guys, you are safe today. We are not preaching a sappy love story. And all the men in the church said, Amen. thank you, Jesus, right? Because I'm going to be honest with you, to take Genesis 24 as just a sappy love story is wrong. There is some love here, there is is a partially a love story here, but as I study this out and as I look at this, there's two big things that I see in this text of Scripture. There's two really big things I see in this text of Scripture. The first one I already mentioned, this is a transition from Abraham to Isaac. This is the handing off of leadership. This is one generation moving off the stage, if you will, to allow the next generation the room to work and if you're in this room this morning and you're getting up there in years that's one of the hardest struggles i think that there is is to know when it's time to step aside and let the next generation step in it's hard Maybe you're in that generation of trying to step in, and you're constantly being thwarted by, by those who are old, and, and you have this natural tension. Well, the, the old people are holding on to the old way of doing things, and new people want to come in and do things new, and, and I want to tell you, I'm glad that there's new ways of things being done. I didn't want to come to church this morning in the bitter cold in a horse and buggy, did you? I'm glad there's change. I'm glad that God gifts young minds with good ideas. I just wish that he gifted those young minds with the experience that comes with age. But the only way they're going to get that experience is what? The way we got experience, was those of us who are older, right? By, by, by making mistakes. By, by, by taking it from the school of hard knocks. And so we're going to see this transition, this handing off. But the second thing we see here, and this is big to me, is this continuing storyline of God's faithfulness, that we have now seen all of Abraham's life, and now it's going to just keep on going and keep on going. And what I want us to see this morning, and I've been praying about this, is, is how one person's faithfulness can transform other people's or people around them. And we're going to see how Abraham's faithfulness is going to transform and, and it's how it's going to affect the way that it, his servant acts and how it's going to affect Isaac as we go forward in future weeks. But here's what my heart's desire is. Can I just tell you, and, and this is kind of dangerous that I can tell you my motive for preaching this and why, what, why I'm so passionate about this is, because if you don't get it, it's going to feel like a total failure, Okay. But but here's my method and here's my motive in preaching this to you. I want each one of you in this room, those of you who are listening online, I want you to leave here absolutely clinging to the fact that God is faithful. I want you to be so dependent on that and that alone, that God is faithful. Because here's why. If you and I will absolutely latch on to the fact that God is faithful. We will obey Him in anything that He asks us to do. We will. We will obey Him in the hard things because He has been so steadfastly faithful. And as we begin this morning, i got a question for you. We sang about it. We sang about reasons to praise God this morning. We sang about walking by faith. I just have a question for you this morning. Is God faithful, church? Is He Completely faithful. Has he ever made a mistake with you personally? Have you ever felt like he's made a mistake? But has he ever made a mistake? When you look back over the course of your life, when you look back over all the years behind you, can you look back and say, I've had a faithful God every step of the way? I hope you can say that. Now. I'm going to be honest with you. There are 67 verses. I'm going to spend about five minutes in each verse. Are you okay with that? <laughs> no. This is a daunting ta- a text to preach, but you can't just break this up in parts, okay? You got to take it as the whole. It's the nature of a narrative. So I'm going to do something this morning that I don't normally do. I'm not going to read the whole text to begin with. I'm going to read it in sections, and we're going to, we're going to preach on those sections, Okay. But before we do that, I think we better go to the one who wrote this and ask him for guidance. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we live in a world, and even in the, just the environment of the church in America, where faithful obedience is not the norm. Being faithful and being obedient is oftentimes very hard. It's mundane. There's not a lot of glory in it, yet that's what you call us to do is to be faithful and to be obedient. And so I pray that you would make that our heart's desire this morning, that we would desire to be faithfully obedient to you. I pray that today through the word you would show us that faithful obedience is attainable because we can see you and we can rest in your loving faithfulness to us the fact that you don't change, the fact that you have a great, profound, yet very personal plan for each one of our lives. I pray that we could tap into that today. Lord, do a work in our hearts. Remind us again of your great faithfulness. Remind us, as we even see Abraham's last words that are recorded for us in Scripture, to to just Grab on to your great faithfulness to us so that we can be obediently faithful to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to begin with Abraham's last recorded act of faith. We have seen so many acts of faith with Abraham, haven't we? Just each week, it seems like we come in here and maybe there's sometimes he's stumbling, but it just seems like there's more acts of faithfulness than there were stumblings, right? And so when we get to the end of his life, in the first nine verses, we're going to see Abraham's last recorded act of faith. So follow along as we read the first nine verses now. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. That's, that's a nice Bible way of saying that guy was as old as dirt, okay? He was old and advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this master, or this matter. As I mentioned in my introduction, there's a transition here. Abraham is about to ride off into the sunset, and Isaac is about to become the head of this family and the leader. And we have in verses 2 through 8, Abraham's final recorded words of Scripture, and they are just dripping with faith, faith until the very end. Now, we see in verse 2 that there's a servant here mentioned. His name isn't mentioned. It could be Eleazar from chapter 15. If so, Eleazar is an old man himself, okay? He's probably, probably like close to 90 years old if it's Eleazar. We don't know. But whoever it is, he is given this great important task, Abraham entrusts to him the job of finding a wife for his only son. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. Your job is to go find a wife. And remember, there's a lot hanging on this. So in verse 3 and 4, Abraham kind of details the... He gives to him the kind of the, 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 the criteria that he has to operate in. Most importantly... She can't be a Canaanite. You say, why can't she be a Canaanite? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 9, you'll be reminded that Noah put a curse on all the Canaanites. And so so Abraham knows this. And he's like, she can't be a Canaanite. She can't be a Canaanite. She's got to be from my homeland. And in saying this, what Abraham is saying, it's not written here in Scripture, but I want you to just think with me. In saying this, Abraham is saying this, she's got to be another person just like me who's willing to leave the homeland where she's comfortable, make this long trek, and be willing to leave all of that behind to come and live in a strange place. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but, but there's this thing about generations, when we go from one generation to the next, right? Right? And what happens is because we as parents try to make life better for the kids coming behind us, we tend to soften the next generation. Do we not? Be honest with me. Don't we tend to soften the next generation? We do. We try to make it too easy on them. Kids in the room are like, why are you saying this, PD? This means chores and everything this week, right? Yeah. Isaac has grown up in Abraham's household. He doesn't understand what it took for Abraham to come to this country. He doesn't understand the sacrifice. How good is God to keep keep Isaac from getting too soft? He's going to bring somebody who had to go through this. Rebecca is going to be a very grounding influence in Isaac's life that we're going to see here as we move forward. And part of that is is because she understands, like her father-in-law, what it means to leave behind your homeland and come to a, to a place where, where you don't know anybody, where the customs are different, and where you don't fit in. There's further criteria given now as we move forward. In verse 5, and in verse 5 through 8, it's very clear, Abraham makes it imminently clear, Isaac is not to leave the land of promise. Under no circumstance is he to leave the land of promise. And the servant raises a legitimate question, okay? Dad's in the room who have daughters. You looking at me? How many of you would let your daughter go, not with the man that she's supposed to fall in love with, but a representative of the man that she's supposed to fall in love with and travel months-long journey away from you and marry the guy sight unseen. Any dad want to sign up for that? Maybe if your daughter's a real pain, you might. (laughs) Saw that hand. Gemma, I will be praying for you this week. (laughs) Abraham's asking a lot here, isn't he? He's asking a lot. But he is not asking this to be demanding. He's asking this in complete faith. I want you to hone in on verse 7 with me. There's a reason why Isaac isn't supposed to leave the land. He says, because here's the promise. You see it there? Here's the promise. The, The God of heaven... The God of heaven, which is really interesting that he says the God of heaven. Go back to chapter 22, where, where just keep your finger and go back to chapter 22. We're on Mount Moriah in chapter 22, and verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from where? From heaven. Go fast, fast forward in that chapter, go to verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time From where? When God talks to you from heaven, guess what? That gets your attention, and from now on, when he refers to God, the God of heaven, the God who spoke to me, the God God who had me offer up my son, and the God who delivered my son back to me. I told you when we were in chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac leave that mountain, change people. And so now, when he's talking to the servant, he says, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring I will give this land, here's the faith statement. He, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. This is not name it and claim it garbage. Okay, let's be clear on this. This is not Abraham manifesting a wife for his son. This is a man who has walked by faith and he has seen God answer his prayers. And he knows that he's honoring God because God doesn't want his son to marry a Canaanite. And so he's getting a son from where he knows that, that, that she will be safe for his wife. And he is saying this, because we're honoring God and we're honoring his word and honoring his plan, God is going to deliver. That is faith, people. That is faith. And I ask myself when I read God's word, do I take it as literally as Abraham did? And do I really believe God and his promises in the word? Because if I did, I would be that obedient in my faith. I would take big chances. This is a big risk. He's sending off his servant, and, 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 and notice verse 1, he is getting up there in years. There's a real risk that he could die and not even have the guy who he trusts there because the, the servant is the one, who would be, the one who would be like the executor of his will. He doesn't have him there with him. He's sending him off because this is such an important task. And he says this, this God will go before you. This God will provide a wife for my son. That's faith that's genuine faith. And they solemnized the command with an ancient custom that signifies its great importance. Hand under the thigh. Okay? I'm like, what does that mean? I'm not even sure what all that means, but here's what I know. When you go, when you it was like it's not like swearing on a stack of bibles, but it's like when you ask somebody to put their hand under your thigh in this culture it meant like this is serious, like this is you're going to die doing this, right? That's how serious you take this. There's something to me that just really sticks out here. Abraham's an old dude. Can I talk to the old dudes and women in this room? Can I just talk to you? Nobody wants to own up to that. Abraham was faithful to the very end. The very end. And what an example he gave to his servant and he gave to Isaac and he gives to us today. He didn't mail it in in the end and be like, just go find her a woman. I don't care where you find her. Just, you know. No, he's faithful to the very end. And because of God's faithfulness, you and I can be faith-filled and we can walk by faith till the very end. Yeah, your mind may not be what it was. Your body certainly isn't what it was, but you still can be faithful to the end. So we have Abraham's last act of faith, and I want you to see what that does in the life of this servant. So secondly, I want you to see a praying servant and a prayer answering God. We're going to read verses 10 through 28. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. That's an act of faith too. That's an act of faith. Here's why. If it's just the servant and a few guys traveling with him, does he need 10 camels? But if he has to move somebody's household, is he going to need 10 camels? Absolutely. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord... Before he had finished speaking, if you mark in the Bible, mark that phrase. Behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, "'Drink, my lord.' And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "'I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking.' So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel. That's a nose ring, and it weighs five and a half ounces." That's going to be one ugly nose if she leaves it in long. (laughs) Two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. When you and I interact with people who walk by faith, you know what it does to us? It tends to embolden our faith. This servant is acting totally in faith as he leaves here now. And and he offers this prayer. And I want to go back to verses 12 through 14. And when we go there, I have a question for you. How many of you have to make major decisions in your life? How many of you wrestle with how to pray with those, pray for those decisions? Let's learn here. Could there be anything more important to this servant than getting this right? Can you imagine if he brings back the wrong one? I mean, just think about it. He comes back. He comes back and Isaac is like, what? No. That would be terrible because he would have to go back and he would have to explain, okay, she didn't work out. Right? This is. Would you agree with me, church? I know this is kind of funny, but would you agree with me this is really important? He's got to get this right. Kind of like you and I have to get raising our kids right. We have to get, get what we're doing with our money right. We have to get what we do with our jobs right, okay? Do we, do we face these same kind of things, people? What I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I know there are people in this room that are wrestling with that right now. What am I going to do? Which school am I going to go to? What is, what is God calling me to? You've got to get it right. Notice how this guy prays. This is is a great way to pray. And let's be honest, there's nothing like an important life-altering decision to get us on our knees praying, right? Shamefully, we don't pray like we have to or like we should until we have a major life decision. Then all of a sudden, we get on really good praying ground, don't we? Oh, God, right? This is a great model for prayer. The first thing he does is is he shows reverence to God. He understands who he's talking to. Do you see it there in verse 12? Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham. It's a a prayer of submission. It's a prayer prayer of reverence. He says, grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. It's a humble prayer. He's asking God to do something for Abraham. So there's reverence for God in this prayer. When you and I have an important decision to make, we better understand who it is that we're asking for help, and we better revere him. We better, we better worship his holy name, as we sang this morning. Verse 13, he's just acknowledging dependence here. I mean, could there be anything more desperate? And he says this, he's, he's standing there in this situation. Get this, he's in this situation and he's praying. Is it wrong to pray in this situation, church? That's the time to be praying, right? When do you need the guidance? Right in the situation, right? And here he is in the situation and he's like, okay, God, there's a lot of girls coming out here. There's a lot of girls. You see it there in verse 13? I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. It's watering time, God, and there's a lot of women here. He's in a very dependent position. And so, what does he do then? Verse 14, he prays very specifically. Now, you and I might think this is an outlandish request, but we don't understand Middle Eastern custom. He's asking for something in the normal course of events of life. You may not like the way this society worked. You may say it's just misogynistic or whatever, but in this society, the women serve the men. Don't do it, husband. Don't nudge your wife right now. Resist the urge. It was customary when a traveler came in that a woman would come to him and offer him a drink. And so the servant knows this and he says this. Give me a direction in the normal course of life here, God, and I'm asking you this because I want to get it right. I'm asking you to specifically answer this request. Is it wrong to do that with God? Church, is it wrong to do that? I can't tell you how many times that I have prayed and I have asked God very specifically, God, you got to make this very clear because I'm stupid. you got to make this crystal clear. You've got to make it so clear that if I don't do what you're leading me to do, I know that I am willfully disobeying you, then it's on me, right? And what he says is this, okay, yes, yeah, someone's going to come and offer me a drink, and the one that you want for Isaac, let her be the one who offers to water the camels. Now, watering the camels is no small task, we'll talk about that soon this is a pretty big ask, okay? But I want you to see how God answers prayer. God gives a faithful answer because He's a faithful God. Verse 15, I told you to mark it. <laughs> Before He had finished speaking. Now, does God always answer that way, church? Church? No, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing, knowing that God answered the servant this way about Isaac, does that give you confidence to actually go and ask God, church, should it? Church, should it? It better. It better. But notice, God at the right time, with the right person. She happens to be a relative of Abraham. Oh, what a coincidence. She is actually Abraham's great-niece. Abraham's great-niece, and on top of that, she's beautiful. This old guy is like, man, Isaac is going to like her. And on top of that, she's not married. Check, 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 right? She's checking the boxes, right? There's one big box that has to be checked, though, right? She volunteers to give him a drink. She has the right heart. She, she's the right person. She comes from the right family. She, 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 she does the right thing, and she has the right heart. Can I say this to some of you in this room this morning that are struggling, waiting for the right person to come along, or God to bring the right person If you learn anything, learn from this account that God will deliver the right person at the right time. And the worst thing that you can do is to rush ahead of God and try to play God and be a matchmaker. Let God bring the right person. Let God bring the right person. That was free, by the way. But I got a question for you. Could God have answered any clearer here? Could he have? Did he answer the prayer exactly as it was prayed? So let me help you to understand what she just volunteered here for, okay? When you look in the passage, it says this. Look at verse 20. She quickly emptied that first jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew for all the camels. Well, it talks about going down into the well. In verse verse 16, she went down to the spring and filled her jar. The typical jar carried about three gallons of water. Okay? Three, three, Three gallons of water in a clay jar. Is that light? No. That's pretty heavy, right? Where would they carry that? either on their shoulder. Some of them would carry it on their head. Okay? So so she's carrying three gallons of water at a time. I think that's hard enough. You know, just like going from the house out to the barn with three gallons of water. No, this is different than that even. Okay? The ancient well was usually dug by hand, and it was dug in a big, huge square. And on the outside of the square going down, they carved in steps going down. And you would wind your way down in this well to down to where the spring level was. And then when you got down there, you had to let the the clay jar down. So in other words, it steps down, it steps up. Okay? Three gallons at a time. How many camels? Did you catch how many camels he came with? Ten. You know what it takes to water the average camel? 25 gallons. If they're not that thirsty and they only drink 24, how many trips is that per camel? Good math. Eight trips per camel, how many camels? That's eight times 10, that's what? Some of you are getting ready to take off your shoes, let me help you, 80, 80. Probably 85 to 90 trips down into the well, okay? And what's the servant doing the whole time? I says this is kind of the humorous part of this. He's just watching the whole time. Just watching the whole time. And the whole time he's praising God, isn't he? He's making sure that all the camels are watered. He's making sure that, God, that God's really answering his prayer. And then he gives her these gifts. Yes, he gives her a gold nose ring that weighs five and a half ounces. The Iwana cars that the kids were racing yesterday could be five ounces. Kids, can you imagine having something hanging off your nose that weighed what your Iwana car weighed? That's just gross, okay? But it doesn't stop there. The servant doesn't just run away like, oh God, you answered prayer, you're amazing. And and just like, okay, you gotta get married, I got all this stuff. No, he stops and he's, look at verse 26. The man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. When you have an important life decision and you lay it out there in prayer and God answers it, you better, 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 better give him credit you better give him credit you better worship him you better praise his name i'm going to be honest with you i hope that tonight when we come there are people who will come and share praises from what god's been doing in your life because you know what nothing energizes and encourages a church family more than to hear how god's answering prayer in other people's lives now i put the pressure on for tonight And notice what he says, his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master, as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And as he's doing this out loud, Rebecca hears it, and what does she do in verse 28? It's gotten her interest, and she runs. She runs to the house. Do you see how infectious faith infects other people to become infectious infectious in their faithfulness? And it only took one person. It only took one person here. So now let's talk about verses 29 through 54, arranging a marriage. Let's talk about arranging a marriage. Verse 29, there's going to be a guy in this verse that's going to come back and and we're going to meet him again. And he is, let's just face it, this guy is a scoundrel. Laban is his name. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban Laban ran out towards the man to the spring, and as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, Laban is always looking for an opportunity, okay? He and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, "'Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels.'" So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the Lord will not follow me but he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way you shall take a wife from my son from my clan and from my father's house then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, then you will be free from my oath. I came here today to the spring, and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also? Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, "Please let me drink." She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, "Drink, and I will give your camels drink also." So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, "Whose daughter are you?" And she said, "The daughter of Bethuel Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him." So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I. Ba- Bow bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. Duh. <laughs> we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave to her her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. The power of a testimony is pretty powerful, isn't it? The servant just pours it out, and he says, this is where I've come from, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and, and this is what God has done. And in verse 50, after that story, how could anyone say no to that, right? And, and that's kind of the idea there. Then and Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing's from God, and who are we to talk about this? You know, if we weren't so shy and afraid to tell our story, our story, just the fact that you are saved by grace, that story and that story alone is life-changing, is it not? Church, is it not? Isn't that story life-changing? Did it change your life? Or you think it's the only life that that story's ever changed? In all that... The servant does is just tell the story. He just tells the story what God has done for him. And the way he tells that story, who gets the credit? It's God every time, right? It's God who's getting the credit in this story. And and it is a further testimony when 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 the when Laban the brother and the father Bethuel answer him, verse fifty two. When he gets the okay, what does he do? He's like this is another praying moment. I just got to praise God. I don't care if I'm in your house and we're about to eat dinner. I'm going to praise God for what he's just done here. And then he gives the dowry. (laughs) And what you don't read, but what is happening here is, when the dowry comes out, Laban's eyes light up. This is a gravy train. You said that Abraham had done really well, but you didn't say how well he had done, right? And that sets up the fourth point, which is Rebecca's obedient faith. I want you to see Rebecca's obedient faith. So we're going to read down to verse 61. So they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to your master. Her brother and her mother said, easy, okay? Like, let's just slow down here a little bit. Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. What's the strategy here, people? It's the old principle of the camel with the nose in the tent, right? If We can get him to stay for 10 days. We could probably turn that into a month, right? We could turn that into a month. We could probably turn that into two or three, Right? What's the rush? You've just had a long trip. Just stay here, right? Let the camels rest, right? Verse 55, let the young woman remain with us a while. At least 10 days after that, she may go. But he he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah. And said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. If you write in your Bible, just put right next to that, faith. Faith. That's all that is, is faith. I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. The family, as I mentioned, attempted to drag out the process. And the servant, remember, he's walking by faith, right? He's been acting in faith the whole way. And another faith statement is, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God is blessing. I am not delaying anything here. I'm just going to stick to what I've been told to do. It's time to go. We're leaving. Send us away. And they say, okay, want to be that way? Fine. We'll let Rebecca decide. Thinking that Rebecca might what? Maybe she just want to stay a little, just a little longer, you know, and maybe we can have a going away party this weekend or something, right? (coughs) Remember, faith is infectious. And when, when you're around somebody who's truly walking by faith, and when you've seen how God works, when Rebecca hears this story, when she ha- sees how this God uh, of this man who's to be her future husband, when she sees how this God has been faithful, she can't help but be obedient and walk in faith herself. And let's understand what she's committing to here. <clears throat> I'm going to leave this homeland just like my father-in-law and my mother-in-law did, I am leaving the homeland, and I am going to make this super long journey to the land of promise, and I am going to give myself to a man I have never even seen, and I'm going to become his wife, which means I'm going to live with him forever while we're here on this side of eternity, and I am going to be hitched to him, following him being a nomad like his, like his parents were. Remember, she's, she's back in the homeland. She lives in a city, right? She's, she's signing up here, not just for a great adventure, she's signing up for the great unknown. And let's be honest, when God calls us, it's always the great unknown, isn't it? Isn't it? That's kind of hard for us. It's hard for us for ourselves, it's hard for us when we think about it for our children to let them go off into the great unknown, isn't it? But here's the thing, wouldn't you rather go off into the great unknown knowing that God is with you the whole way as opposed to going with what you see by sight and realizing that you're not walking in obedience? So she's heard of God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham and his servant, and she chooses to obey and walk in faith as well, and she puts her dependence in their God. And so finally we get to the last point. We finally get to the love story. All the women are like, oh. Verse 62. Well, verse 61. Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. This is a month's long journey, okay? Okay, talk about saddle sores, right? Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lehi Roai and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Can you imagine his heart? Let's just stop here for a second. Let's just talk about it from the human perspective. Right? C- come on, men. What is the first thing he's thinking? Come on, men. Is she good looking? Right? Am, am I going to find her attractive? Is she is she going to be able to put up with my idiosyncrasies? How is this going to work? Are there lots of doubts in Isaac's mind at this moment? Yeah. He lifts up his eyes, verse 63, and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes when she saw Isaac. And she dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, Who's that guy? Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, He's the guy. It's my master. And she does the thing that she's customarily supposed to do. She realizes this, this is my betrothed. She, she's already assumed. She hasn't met him. She hasn't talked to him. She puts the veil over her face, which is a sign of the fact I am engaged to this guy. She has, to go back to our message on plan A and plan B, she has no plan B at this point. She is committed and she is seeing this thing through. She doesn't get a chance to meet him or anything like that. She puts the veil over her face and she says, that's that's right there, that's my fiance. Is that an act of faith, church? You better believe it. It's an act of faith. And so, verse 66 And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Can you imagine what that story time was like? And Isaac is like looking at her, and she's so beautiful. And he's looking at her, and she's like, she really went up and down into that well 90 times for our camels? Oh, yeah, I'm marrying her. Then Isaac, verse 67, brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a happy ending, right? There's significance here. Now Isaac is living in Abraham and Sarah's tent. Who's in charge now? Who's the new sheriff in town? It's Isaac. He's taken the patriarch's tent. And so we've got a couple minutes, but there's three things I just want to nail down before we leave here. There's so much here for us to consider. And let's be honest, every single one of us deals with this fear of what it means to really be a committed follower of Jesus, don't we? We wrestle with that fear. To be obedient completely to the commands of God and and His call in our life. And, and we certainly see, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't caught it, then I haven't done a good job. There, there is hardship and there is a lot of unknown in committing to following the way of the Lord here. But I hope you also saw this. This is the way of reward and blessing. And I'm not just talking about five and a half ounce nose rings. Was Rebecca blessed because she obeyed? And, and yes, she was you know what the blessing that Rebecca got, that, that history records for us is? She's in the line of Christ. Rebecca is in the line of Christ. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Can I say to us all, whether you're old or young, today is the day to, to be committed to, to be obediently following your master. Today is the day. Don't, don't go back and languish over what you haven't done. Today is the day to commit to follow this God. Stop looking at what you have to leave behind and look at what God has to offer. And what God has to offer is Himself, and that's more than enough, isn't it? What God has to offer is Himself. I'm not talking about all the wealth, the gold and all the bracelets and that. I'm talking about the fact that when she committed, Abraham's God became Rebekah's God. And he became her wisdom, he became her power, he became her protection, he became her love, he became her direction. And isn't that what we all need? So the first thing I want you to consider is, shake off the fear to follow by faith. The second thing I want us to consider is this, when you commit to be faithful, be faithful to the very end. Be faithful to the very end. What a legacy that Abraham leaves for us by God's grace. What a legacy he left to Isaac. Again, I'll point this out. Sometimes we think that faithfulness means we have to be against all change. The way to be faithful is just to be grumpy about anything that's different. Abraham knew things had to change. For Abraham to allow Isaac and Rebecca to move into Sarah's tent, what did that mean for Abraham? Abraham had to get a new tent. Change. I hate this new tent. I knew where everything was in the old tent. <laughs> right? Right? But he's being faithful to the end, isn't he? Being faithful to the end. And then thirdly, I want you to consider this, what a powerful God that we have, a God that listens to our prayers and loves us enough to answer them specifically for us. Did you see that here? when you got important decisions to make follow the example of abraham's servant and go to that all-wise all-powerful loving creator god and seek his direction and don't be afraid to ask because here's the promise that we know from elsewhere in the word of god he's always working for our good and his glory isn't he isn't that the promise of the word so you got this important life decision to make Yeah, get some wise counsel from people around you, but get the wisest counsel from your Heavenly Father. Get the wisest counsel. I hope we leave this chapter greater committed to following, not because we can just try harder, but because our God is so good and so faithful to us. How can we not walk by faith? How can we not walk by faith? Father, Increase our faith, I pray. I pray that you would just drill this long but very fruitful chapter into our hearts. That we would walk by faith. That we would look beyond what we see to see the God who sees all and knows all and has a good plan for us. And that we could do it by your grace, I pray. We love you, Lord thank you for this account that is, I am convinced this account is here to bolster our faith. I pray that it's done that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.